Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View from my studio on the beautiful Biloxi Back Bay. I hope you're having a great day. This is the show that celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such an amazing place to live work and play. Hey, if you missed my conversation with John Ferrucci yesterday, we had him for the whole show. Uh, I would really encourage you to go pay attention to that one. Uh, he's the general manager at um, at the Silver Slipper in Hancock County, but he's also has corporate responsibilities now as the chief operating officer for his parent company. And it was just a fascinating conversation about the role that he's playing on the corporate level, how they're how they're transporting sort of culture and strategic approaches from the Silver Slipper to these other organizations. We we talked a little bit about uh, we, uh, about Katrina and the aftermath and the tough decisions, important decisions that Silver Slipper made after the storm and uh, you just get a good sense of John Ferrucci. What a what a terrific leader he is. We're really lucky to have him in this community. So you can go to uh, the Super Talk uh, Gulf Coast Facebook page and watch that video. You can go to your favorite podcast. Uh, you can also go to YouTube. Okay, now let's. Uh, I want to share something from my friend Stacy Wadrop, who posted this. I love it. Is from uh, Rachel Martin. Is who uh, this is? Uh, who, who wrote this? But here it is. It says, take time, take a moment to see the good, to remember the smiles, to remember the moments, to remember the little things, to be thankful, to be grateful. Take time to see the wonderful in this world. The more you see the good, the more you will inspire others to see it as well. And then she finally says at the very end, ripple, ripple. I love this whole notion of leading by example and having sort of a positive frame of mind. That's what Coast View is about. We we want to we want to see the good in people in this in this Coast community. We rarely will get involved in issues. When we do, we will do our homework and we will pursue it with a vengeance. That is for sure. But you know, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we we talk a lot. Kyle and I talk a lot about living in the moment, appreciating this moment, and I think this piece that Stacy shared is a really, really good one. Inspire others with your ability to see the good, and you will cause a ripple. I love it. Really, really good. Hey, I'm really looking forward to today's show. We're going to spend the entire hour with my friend Ashley Edwards, the CEO of the Business Council. We're going to get an update uh, from him on what the latest at the Business Council is. How are things going since he announced that he's going to be uh, leaving for the private sector uh, toward the end of the year? So, Without any further ado, let's bring Ashley Edwards into the conversation and just say good morning. Hey, good morning, Ricky. So you're uh, you're coming in from your little uh, perch at, at on, on Back Bay as well. It's a special place, isn't it, man? It's a great place. Wouldn't rather be anywhere else. <laughs> hey, listen, we're going to talk. I, 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 you and I have had some conversations off to the side about the Queen's death. The, the unique um, maybe connections that, that Mississippi may have to the monarchy. And uh, I've got, you know, I've found some interesting things. I know you have found some interesting things too, but boy, she was extraordinarily popular. And we're going to come back to that in a second. You and I are, are we, we, we both read a bunch and I want to get your thoughts on Ukraine and what this latest, what your thoughts are on Ukraine's latest advance 
there and the incredible criticism that's starting to come out of Russia around Putin. You know, you're your former journalist. I, I spent a, uh, an entire career in journalism, and uh, it's great to see some of the, the bravery coming out of Russia now. That's cool. J- I want to talk about the Jackson Water Crisis. I want to I want to talk to my buddy, my, my fe- fellow weather nerd about about the tropics, et cetera. So there's yeah. a lot to talk about. So what's been the response to your announcing that you're going to be moving from the business council into the private sector? Well, you know, I think it's all been very positive and people have wished me well. And, and I really can't tell you how much I appreciate the relationships that I've been able to to cultivate over the years and, and will continue to have. And, uh, you know, I think that the great news about it is folks on the coast are so forward looking. You know, they know that, uh, you know, Jamie Miller's coming in to, to the role at the business council and he's going to do, I think, a tremendous job. And, you know, what uh, we, we could not have asked for a better person who's prepared to walk into that, understands the issues, understands the roles the various players and state and local government play. Uh, so, you know, all things are, are looking good, and, and uh, I think people are looking forward to uh, the initiatives that he's going to bring into place. You know, my goal has been just doing everything I can do to, to leave the organization and uh, in as good of a possible position as we can and, and make his job easier as he comes in to – to that transition because, you know, even though the faces may change, the work doesn't stop. And, and there are uh, a lot of, you know, big issues that we're still dealing with here on the coast and a lot of big opportunities. And, you know, just as he sort of comes in the door, uh, we'll be at the first of the year and a new legislative session with all sorts of, uh, you know, new issues that will arise with that. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a, it's a good and forward looking time at the Gulf Coast Business Council. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to, uh, very proud to have been associated uh, with the organization for these past seven years. And I look forward to volunteering my time on, in the future to continue to support the good work they do. I have predicted that you may be just as, or in fact, even more effective in the private sector than you were as the CEO. We shall see. But I look forward to you being involved. And we'll obviously, we'll continue our conversations here on Coast View sure. long after you've left the Business Council so because you're, you're a good thinker someone who pays attention to what's happening and you intend to make a difference. And that's cool. Hey, listen, I will say this, that uh, Jamie, I've, I've known Jamie for many years. I've worked closely with him before on various volunteer efforts. And um, I'm, I'm really look forward to having him here on Coastview. You know, as he, as he gets into that job, uh, you know, he's still at MDA and we're going to, we're going to respect the fact that he's at the MDA. And once he makes that transition, we'll bring him into this, into the show and let people get to know him better. But you know, after Katrina, we learned the clarion call for leadership, regional leadership, had to come through a, an organization similar to the Business Council. That's what created the Business Council. You have a dream team of CEOs engaged in that organization. They will continue to be engaged. And they all know fundamentally that we are not the region we are. We're not the strong region we are if we don't have great CEO leadership uh, through the Business Council. So I look forward to... to um, Celebrating your tenure there, and also to bringing Jamie Miller into the into the role in a way people can get to know him better, and uh, we'll continue to support the the business council's efforts. We we need a strong business council. There is no doubt about that. Any other words about what's happening these days at the business council before we shift gears? Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting, Ricky. So much of what we're finding ourselves focusing on right now, and uh, you know, 
I think it's probably going to be a big part of the focus in the years ahead as well, and that is these workforce issues, the questions of how do we attract talent to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, how do we retain the talent we have, uh, how do we grow a, a strong and, and sustainable workforce here. It's so incredibly important to the business sector, to the economic community. Uh, workforce, I think, is probably the biggest issue in the state of Mississippi from an economic development perspective. Uh, that's certainly no different here on the coast. And you know, with the the lightning fast changes that we're seeing in the economy, and we're seeing in the way that that people work and approach, you know, job opportunities and job openings, um, it gives us an incredible opportunity here in coastal Mississippi to be innovators uh, and to look at the best practices models that are happening other places in the country. Uh, and to tailor those to really fit what we're doing here. And so that's something I've been spending a lot of time on here in my last few months uh, in the business council. I'm certain Jamie's going to be spending a lot of time on it as well, just because it's become such a uh, not only big issue, but also really a, an incredible opportunity as we go forward. And, you know, as as I tell people all the time, um, if you were sitting in a conference in Manhattan and folks were talking about workforce development, one of the questions they'd be asking right now is, well, what's the place in the country that has very high quality of life, great natural assets and natural resources, a low cost of living, a low cost of housing, and the ability to make good wages? And we would be one of the first places on that list. And so, uh, you know, the job for us is to make sure that the people out there in the United States that are uh, looking to make a move, and there are a lot of folks getting ready to do that, uh, are looking here at the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And, you know, we just see these these monumental shifts happening as more of the baby boomers leave the workforce. Uh, they're going to be, in many cases, relocating empty nesters and others, and we want to attract them here uh, as millennials and continue to, to grow in the workforce and increase their skills. Uh, they're going to be looking at making changes over time. The pandemic only accelerated everything that we already saw happening and, you know, I, I just can't help but but think about the fact that this is such an opportunity for us here uh, to continue to, to attract a very talented workforce to, to come and live, work and play here. And we have everything we need here to be successful. Well, Jonathan Jones, who's the general manager at Harris and serves on your board, he was he on my show said that they've done a good job of filling the gaps, but it's not sustainable. It's literally not sustainable. Uh, with the shortages that they have, you know, they fill a position, then they lose a position, and they're having, you know, people working overtime and managers doing work, roles that they don't normally do. John Ferrucci said yesterday on the show, he said that they have 500 employees at Silver Slipper, they need 550. They really yeah. want to reopen a casino, uh, excuse me, a restaurant, and they just haven't been able to find the employees. So, you know, I don't care if you're talking to a small restaurant or the largest casino, there are all these challenges, and you're right. I mean, the opportunity for us are incredible. When we come back on the other end, I want to I want to we'll, we'll continue this part just for a second and talk about the need for innovation in this area. We'll see you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Ashley Edwards with us. He's the CEO of the Business Council. And when we went to break, we were talking about the the need to innovate, for Coastal Mississippi to innovate in the realm of attracting people here to this community who uh, can take one of these jobs, one of these, in some cases, very high-paying jobs that are available to people. And this is a problem all, all maybe around the world. Certainly, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a problem all across the United States, filling positions. And certainly, we're, we are, we are, we're having our challenges. Some, community, some communities are doing better than others. But what's interesting about what you were saying just a second ago, one of the, one of the important things the Business Council brings to the table is – to bring clarity to the challenges and what 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 let me let me put sort of a roadmap to what you were saying because sure. i think this is this is this is important and i spent a lot of time later part of my year in strategic planning and let me just put it let me put a roadmap to it so first of all there's a clarion call for change in other words there there's a, a very significant issue and we understand it so you can call that current process analysis or whatever you want to do whatever you want to call it but it's the current situation and the current situation, which is we have a shortage of of a wide range of positions here in coastal Mississippi, that's a challenge for us, and we've got to address that. Okay, so we, we paint that. The second thing we do, once we understand what the current situation is, you kind of set that aside and say, okay, that has painted a compelling case for change. Let's go figure out how we're going to deal with this. The next thing you do is you go and look at best practice. This is the point that you were making a few minutes ago. Look at some of these communities that their numbers support the reality that they're doing better at this than we're doing. What are they doing that's different than what we're doing? What can we learn from from that? Now you can choose then as you do, as you as you do your current process analysis. You can you can choose. Excuse me. As you do your best practice analysis, you can choose to pick from them and start implementing some of those things. And certainly you can do that. You can call some of that maybe even low-hanging fruit that, oh, gosh, we've got to do that, and we've got to do that, and let's go implement those things immediately. But what we may end up needing to do is completely innovating. We can take bits and pieces of what other people are doing and try an incredibly new way. And so what's going to come out of this effort, I'm assuming, actually, is a vision for how we address this that's innovative. So we can rally everybody around it and say, okay, these are the things we need to do as a community if we're going to get be the best at this. Is that essentially the approach you're taking? That's exactly right. Uh, you know, and we're spending a lot of time focusing on this question of the various support ecosystems that exist in communities that uh, that leverage this talent attraction strategy. And one of the interesting things I have spent a lot of time in the last couple of months. Uh, really diving into what have other regions in the United States done that, and they've been successful. And, you know, sort of on, on its face, the first thing that you find that a lot of these regions do are, are various sorts of incentive programs and things like that. But behind those incentive programs, I think what I kind of take away is that they are creating these ecosystems that bring in uh, the kind of talent they're looking for, the kind of skills they're looking for, uh, make them feel welcome, make them feel part of a community, integrate them into the job opportunities, integrate them into the economic clusters that exist. And, you know, the good news is we already have the the foundations for a lot of those types of ecosystems here on the coast. And so part of the job really is supporting those, building those, growing those, making those more effective. Um, 
But again, it's a huge opportunity for us. Uh, we have the ability to be a leader in the state of Mississippi, uh, really, and also a leader nationwide uh, in having a talent attraction strategy that will fundamentally change, generationally change, uh, the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And, you know, some people like to hear that. Some people maybe don't. But, uh, you know, change is going to happen whether we want it to or not. Um, it's a great thing for us to be able to say, if you live on the Mississippi Gulf Coast today and you want a job, chances are you've got one. Yeah. Uh, there, there are there are positions open everywhere. Um, that's not necessarily the case everywhere in the United States, although there certainly are places that that have workforce challenges as well. Uh, but you know the fact that we have this opportunity here, that we have this this wonderful place that we live, uh, that has the ability to be attractive to a very diverse set of people from across the United States. Um, you know, I've talked in the last few weeks to people that you know, moved here from, from California or New York or Austin, Texas. Uh, some of these people dial into a job every day in Silicon Valley in California. Uh, but they, but they're, you know, sitting on their porch looking out at the bay. Um, and, you know, their money goes a lot farther here in the Mississippi Gulf Coast than it does uh, in San Jose, California, or in San Francisco, California. And so, you know, the economic argument that we can make to workers, whether they be remote workers or skilled workers who are looking uh, to upgrade their jobs, uh, that, that economic argument, I think, is very, very strong. Uh, and it's something that we have to perfect our ability to get that message out uh, as time continues. Well, let's shift gears. Let's talk about the tropics for a second. I had Carrie Duncan on recently, had a whole show with Carrie Duncan. It was a terrific visit. She was very disclosing and Really, really enjoyed getting to know her better and uh, really see her path as that, that actually ultimately brought her here to coastal Mississippi. But she said it only takes one. And then, of course, Josh Morgan, the top hurricane chaser in the world, who's living. In fact, he's building a house in Bay St. Louis so he can live there, live here during during the uh, 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 tropical season. His main base is in Los Angeles. Uh, of course, he says the same thing that you and I have been reading, that you know we've had a lot of dry air and Saharan dust and all these things, and it's workforce. Models are starting to you know, kind of pick up on some possibilities in the next few weeks. But you know, again, it only takes one. People should not let this law be a moment where they just say, you know, we're going to drop our guard. Uh, we've we've got another couple of months to go before we can do that, as we learn well from Zeta. What's your read on the situation? Well, I think it's exactly what you just said. I mean, it's been an interesting season. Um, you know, folks like you and I, who are who are weather nerds and and really like to to dig into this stuff. You know, we've we've had kind of our red flags up throughout the season because we see that the conditions in the Gulf of Mexico, the 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 sea surface temperatures, the temperatures even a little bit underneath the sea surface can really support a very strong storm out there. But we've been lucky in the sense that we've had all that Saharan dust coming out of Africa, lots of dry air uh, over the Atlantic Basin and the Gulf Basin. You know, there's some indications that as we get later into fall, things could continue to ramp up. As you, as you mentioned, you know, we've kind of had the models chirping now for, uh, for a few weeks. You know, we were we were a little bit alarmed going into the beginning of September because the the models were starting to suggest we could have some development, uh, and we've been very fortunate. But as as you mentioned and as Carrie mentioned, it only takes one. Um, and it's not unusual for us to have a season that's totally quiet than have one storm show up on our doorstep in October uh, or even November, unfortunately. So, you know, we got to continue to stay vigilant. My sincere hope uh, is that this season that could have been really scary 
uh, ends up being a, to a, a you know a total dud, uh, and then we can just get ready for next year. But uh, based on what we're seeing with some of these these models going into the fall and and the expectations of the atmospheric conditions, uh, we're not out of the woods yet, unfortunately. So uh, you know, as I tell people all the time, you know, all we can do is 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 wait and watch. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Hey, listen, I've watched with interest the Jackson Water Crisis. And I've had the opportunity to to chat a little bit about it um, recently with some state leaders. And, um, you know, the reality is we got here through a very long, many, 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 many years. You know, people moving outside of the city and moving into places like Madison, et cetera. This has been happening for a very, very, very long time. The tax base has been challenged. There's been a series of, of leaders in the city that have not been up to the to the challenge of you know dealing with the kind of infrastructure needs that need to need to be dealt with uh, for the future of Jackson, um, and so here we are. You know, we a complete meltdown of the system and water pressure down and the quality of the water being impacted. And now you have the EPA going in yesterday, and you know wanting to understand better how did we get to this this point. So. There's a lot of oversight that's happening now. We're going to get to where we need to get. But it is important because what happens is some media, in fact, wanted to immediately put the race frame around the problem. <clears throat> I think it was good that the governor and the mayor were able to go to come together in a, in a press conference and say, look, there'll be a lot of time for us to point fingers at one another. But for now, let's focus on the solution and let's get the solution moving. But, you know, what that did by doing a story early in the process, it it, it ended up sort of reconfirming to outside media that that Mississippi is backwards still. And it's unfortunate because it's, it's, sometimes it's, it's it, we do the criticism. Most times we're not. Um, the the frame that, that the national media wants to put on this is not the frame we want them to put on this. But this is a major problem, and it, inf it impacts the entire state, doesn't it, Ashley? It's, it's a huge issue. And, you know, I, I mentioned, I think I made a, a social media post a few days ago, and I mentioned this. You know, the day that sort of the water crisis hit the national headlines, um, I started off that morning in a meeting with several leaders, and we were talking about this question of how do we attract more talent to Mississippi? And, you know, just as I got from that meeting and, and started to scroll through the news on my phone, and I was looking at all these national headlines about the Jackson water crisis, it just struck me, you know, there, there's nothing we can do to market our way out of this. I mean, it's devastating when we have these kind of headlines nationally. And, and as you mentioned, first thing that people want to do is find blame. But for the people living in Jackson, they're not as worried about the blame as they are about who's going to take responsibility for fixing it. Yeah, let, hey, let's do this. When we, let's, I don't want to. I don't want. We're at the end of this segment, so when we get on the other side, we'll we'll clean up anything else that we need want to say about the Jackson Waters crisis, and then we'll move on to a couple other international issues that I think are really important to us as well. Uh, this is Ashley Edwards, CEO of the Business Council, and we'll see you after this break. Subscribe for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. We have Ashley Edwards, CEO of the Business Council. And when we went to break, we were talking a little bit about uh, the Jackson water crisis. One other point about this, and you know, you you know well because you worked with Governor Barber after Hurricane Katrina. You you worked with uh, Phil Bryant on the oil spill. You've had tremendous responsibilities related to funding mechanisms, uh, relationship with the White House. I mean, you you know how this works. In a way, the Jackson water crisis was sort of, and I, I said this the other day, sort of like as a Katrina moment in a way, because right. it's a disaster for that city. It's it's like the aftermath of a storm where people don't have water and you've now got to respond to it. You need federal help. You need you need state help. And um, so it was a kind of a Katrina moment. And, and much in the same way that mayors along coastal Mississippi kind of took a bit of a backseat initially to the governor so we could try to figure out, okay, how do we get through this initial situation? And then where do we go from here in terms of funding, finding the best solutions, et cetera? Um, And that's where the Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal came in. And then we adopted plans and we went and we found money to help us implement those plans. And it was a pretty orderly process. There wasn't a lot of finger pointing after Katrina. Now, look, the national press after Katrina tried to make it about all kinds of things, but we just didn't, for the most part, we didn't buy into that. We stayed focused on the goal, and the goal was to get back up and running as quickly as possible. In that way, the Jackson water problem is kind of like that, isn't it? It's a lot like that. And, you know, look, I think there's going to be significant federal resources that will end up being brought to bear for Jackson. Uh, The timing is ideal from the standpoint that we've got the big federal infrastructure uh, package now that's been passed. And uh, you know, whether it's the Corps of Engineers or the EPA, there are going to be a lot of federal agencies interested uh, in, in doing the things necessary to make sure this doesn't happen again. And I think that's probably great news for the for the residents and the businesses of Jackson, because, you know, what what is really lost in all this is, you know, you look at the, the long suffering residents of that city that have had all kinds of problems with their water for for years and years, not just with this event. Uh, and the businesses that, you know, have found it incredibly difficult uh, to stay going. I heard a story this morning about a, a hotel owner up there who lost like 36 days of business uh, as a result of water issues at their hotel. And, you know, and those things just can't they just can't happen. Um, so it's incumbent upon uh, you know, sort of all of the parties involved to start working on a plan for how to integrate all these resources. Um, you know, resources will be available, but sometimes integrating those resources and making them work together to create holistic outcomes, that's a difficult thing to do. Uh, but Jackson has that opportunity ahead of it. Uh, and I think, you know, like anything else, whether it's Katrina or any other disaster, you see in the beginning a response phase. Uh, that's really followed by a recovery phase. And the state and the leadership in Jackson have been very much in response phase for the past couple of weeks. You know, it was incumbent upon them to, you know, let's get the rental pumps to get the water flowing again so people have water pressure. And then let's do the things necessary to make sure that the water is potable so that it can actually be used. Uh, And all of that has been underway. And of course, that's where everyone's attention goes. But after the initial emergency has passed, you know, it's going to be time then for folks to start getting around tables and and discussing and talking about how best to address these issues. Uh, and, you know, in, in a place like the city of Jackson, it goes beyond just the water system. I mean, there are longstanding issues there. And, you know, I, I will say this one thing, Ricky, because I think it's I think it's an important point that people often miss, especially in the national media. 
because you'll hear this blame game and, and, you know, some people throw the blame back at the city. Some people throw the blame back at the state and they'll say, well, it was poor governance from, from the, uh, you know, from the, the state leadership or poor governance from the city leadership. And some of that may be true, but everything looks like poor governance when you don't have the resources to fix things. And, you know, it, it's real easy to, for good governance to work when you've got plenty of resources and plenty of money that you can go and pile into the problems that you have. Mississippi, whether it's the state of Mississippi or the city of Jackson, neither one for, for decades have really had adequate resources to address these kind of things. And so I think that's where the federal help uh, can go a long way towards solving these problems once and for all. When you were talking about those phases, it reminded me of a conversation I had with Governor Barber early in the process when he was talking with Governor Jeb Bush in Florida, who gave him a bunch of good advice as a result of Jeb Bush's experience in 2004. And that's one of the reasons why he called it the the, the Governor's Commission on Re, uh, Re, uh, Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal, because he said you have to be able to do all three. You have to recover, you have to rebuild, and you're not going to renew. In other words, rebuild back bigger and better. And for the future, if you don't, if you don't start each of those processes and do them all simultaneously, which uh, I always, uh, you know, because we were we were really lobbying the shorten the name of the group, but he said no. I want this constant reminder to be out there that all three of those aspects, all three of those phases are critical and will sort of be coming coming together in unison. I just thought that was great leadership to to say it that way. Well, okay. Say this, Ricky, on, yeah. on that note, and I think I think you make a very important point. <clears throat> those those three things are so important because if you don't successfully do those three things, then you end up with a second disaster on the back end. I mean, you know, Katrina was an incredible disaster, largest natural disaster ever hit the continental United States. But what we also knew was when we had 40,000 FEMA trailers, when we had, you know, houses that were either gone or damaged beyond repair across the coast, if we did not put the resources in place, to fix these issues, to rebuild our infrastructure systems, to rebuild our roads, our water, our sewer systems, to get houses rebuilt, then we were going to be four or five years down the road and find ourselves in an economic disaster that would dwarf what happened with Hurricane Katrina. And the same thing is true with Jackson. If you don't fix these problems, then you're going to see even more businesses and residents flee the city in the future. So this is the time to get it right. Uh, and sometimes what a disaster does is it brings clarity around those issues, and it certainly can help grease the skids of the resources to, that, that are necessary to come and help. And so, you know, my sincere hope for the benefit of, of Jackson and the state of Mississippi and even the coast is that we get this right because the coast is stronger by having a strong capital city in our state. Uh, so if you know if, if you're a coast resident, you should care about what happens in the city of Jackson. Well, what I would say is that every leader engaged in this process and, this, and uh, should read Haley Barber's book, America's Great Storm, leading through Hurricane Katrina. What an incredible telling that is about what is necessary, the kind of work in the trenches that is necessary to get through an issue like the water crisis. And you wouldn't, you know, it's, people will say, how are you comparing the water crisis to Katrina? But the point is, we're not talking about this. We're not comparing the scale. What we're saying is the response it, re it requires that you hit on a bunch of different cylinders, and if you don't, as, Ke as Ashley's pointing out, you may pay the piper later. You will pay the piper later, and we want to, you know, it's important to the state and um, for all of us that we get this right in Jackson. Hopefully, they're focused on it in that way. You know, what's been interesting to me is watching the Ukrainian war, so that this political thing that's 
that's come about that, you know, this criticizing America for helping to fund the war. It's amazing to me. We we seem to forget pretty quickly why the Ukrainian war was important to begin with and why it was important for us to help them because of what Putin was doing. And I've posted about this. I've written about it. What Putin has done has just been unbelievable. So it, it just gives me tremendous hope, actually, to see the pressures mounting on the Kremlin and to see the Ukraine's counteroffensive doing what it's doing. Uh, it's redefined the world order in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, what we're seeing is you're, you're a former journalist. I certainly spent a career in journalism to see journalists coming for, forward and, and leaders, mayors all across Russia coming forward to say and criticizing publicly Putin, knowing that it could end up being their death nail. Um, it's an amazing turn of circumstances the last few days, even, isn't it? Huge turn of circumstances. And, you know, you can't help but just have incredible admiration and respect for the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian armed forces. Uh, you know, it, our life goes on day to day, and you think about the, the, the terrible situation that many people in Ukraine are, are living in, uh, and for them to, to launch this counteroffensive and take back as much uh, territory as they did was, was pretty amazing. Of course, they've been pretty well supplied by a lot of NATO countries, the United States and the West. But, you know, you think about where we were, what, it, what was it, six, seven months ago at this point, when the expectation on the world stage was that Ukraine did not stand a chance, that Putin, uh, that the country would fall in no time, that Putin would take Kiev and, and, and things would be, uh, you know, w- would be under Russian control very quickly, given the, the discrepancy in, in the, the power of the armed forces. And that has not been the case. So, you know, in, in many ways, we love to root for the underdog. Uh, in this situation, it's especially true because we've got a democracy that's, that's fighting uh, a government that really is anything but, a, le- a leader uh, that is anything but. And, uh, you know, good for the people of Ukraine, the armed forces for Ukraine. I hope that they are able to continue the momentum. Uh, you know, from, from all of us who've spent a lot of time studying World War II and the things that went on, we, you know that momentum is so important in these battles. And so... Uh, really, now that they've got this momentum, if they can keep it up, it'll be interesting to see where we are a couple of weeks from now. It'll also be interesting to see what the response is going to be from the Putin regime, because uh, as you noted, they're starting. I mean, you look at the press in Russia, the state run media in Russia, and you're seeing pushback on Putin at a level that we've never seen as a result of this. And so the the patience for what has gone on and even in Russia uh, is really starting to simmer. And it'll be interesting to see where this goes in the next short period of time. Don't forget what's happening in Ukraine now has worldwide implications. If if we didn't already understand it, looking at gas prices and the other issues related to that, unbelievable. The impact it's had on poverty and the poor and famine around the world. It's unbelievable. I mean, the implications are just tremendous. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, Queen's death and the ramifications for Mississippi. We'll see you after this break. Also listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say Alexa. Open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to uh, Coastview. We have uh, Ashley Edwards from the Business Council. And I want to talk just a little bit about the Queen's death. You know, one of the things that I thought about, Ashley, was after Hurricane Katrina, when Andreas Duane, the famed architect, came to coastal Mississippi and we had the charrettes, we had we had uh, one one significant leader actually from the Prince's Foundation for for building communities, and I was uh, amazed that here is a here is this guy who originally, by the way, was from Texas, who was uh, involved in the Prince's Foundation here in coastal Mississippi, helping us after Hurricane Katrina, and I thought, wow, the, the what the what they do, what this what the monarchy does, and how they have engaged around the world is very significant. And in that moment, I thought, gosh, that's that's interesting that these relationships will be playing out in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. But, you know, what, what's happening with the Queen's death is everyone now is not only focused on her because of her popularity, but the secession that's going to be in place, but also you know, a lot of debates about the, about the monarchy and whether it's good or bad and what their roles have been around the world, et cetera. You know, some of the demons are coming back to roost, et cetera. But people are fascinated with it, aren't they? Well, it is a fascinating subject, and you think about it, I mean, wow, um, a world leader who essentially has been in place since the days of Winston Churchill in the aftermath of World War II through the, the year 2022, and, you know, if nothing else, you can't help but think about the fact that under her reign, the world went through more changes than at any other time in history. I mean, she saw the world completely transform and change in the time that, that she was queen. And so, it, you know, and in many ways, her personal popularity, the longevity of her reign, uh, it, you know, it, it has made sort of the monarchy, um, you know, an, an interesting subject for Americans, even though we certainly don't have a monarchy here. And I hope and I hope we ever we never do. Um, but it's made an interesting, you know, an interesting subject for Americans. And it will be very interesting to see how her death starts to shape things. I mean, are, you know, in the year 2022, are, are we still in a position in this, in this world uh, where we want to see uh, monarchies? So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because I think in many ways that, you know, the, the person of Queen Elizabeth uh, was able to, to tamp down a lot of that over the period of time because she was so personally popular and just such an iconic figure worldwide. Now that she's gone, uh, I think this conversation might start to be a bit different. There are a lot of Mississippi connections. I, I had a I had the the pleasure of listening yesterday to a conversation between uh, Douglas Carswell, who's the current, as you know, the current uh, presidency of Mississippi Center for Public Policy, and a, and a former member of the Parliament. And he's actually had tea a couple of times with the Queen. It was a great conversation between Paul Gallo and him. But you know, here's this really substantial link back to. Uh, the you know the queen in some ways um, you know when, when you look at these connections between Mississippi and Great Britain what do you see well you know it's interesting when I worked back in economic development there were a number of times that we were uh, directly recruiting uh, UK based companies uh, to come in you know to come and potentially locate here I mean that's happening statewide even today because uh, you know we do have this sort of natural uh, partnership with the UK, you know, they're one of our sort of most favored allies in the United States. And uh, Mississippi has been uh, obviously a kind of a fertile ground for, for business growth and development. And so interest in the UK have looked at Mississippi and continue to look at Mississippi. And, you know, it's going to be interesting as we go forward. UK, you know, really, it's kind of amazing when you think about the fact, imagine if the United States 
uh, you know, had a monarch that had served as long as Queen Elizabeth had. And, you know, in one week's time, you had a new prime minister uh, and a new monarch come into place. And so this is all coming on the heels of Brexit uh, and the war in Ukraine and, you know, just the incredible economic issues and energy issues that are associated with that. Uh, so these are trying times for, for the folks in the UK and the British people. Um, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how this sort of develops as, as time goes on. And, of course, you know, no, it, it, I'm getting used to saying the words King Charles III, uh, which is sort of a new a new term for us. But, you know, whether I mean, you, you hear people on the national, international news talking to British citizens and they talk about the fact that this is all they've ever known. I mean, they're you know, they're 70 year old people running around out there. And this queen is the only queen they've ever known or monarch they've ever known. And so, you know, it, it really is very historically significant when you consider what's happened over the course of the last week uh, in Europe, whether it's what's going on in Ukraine or what's happened in the U.K., very historically significant week for for Europe and a lot of question marks uh, about what is ahead for those countries. It's going to be interesting. I think a lot of people probably have done like we've done and go back. You you want to get reminded of what was what was Great Britain's role, you know, in the history of Mississippi and what was Spain's role. And, you know, again, reminded, Stan Tyner, the former executive director of the Sun-Herald, used to talk about Gufflandia, that we actually had more in common down here on the coast with with Mobile and Pensacola and New Orleans. And that the, But at one point, it was split up that way. I mean, it was, you know, we were under Spain. and But, you know, it's been interesting to, to be reminded of some of that history and, and the fact that, uh, you know, the, the Great Britain, Britain and the monarchy's role around the world, you know, a reminder of India and, and, and how their role. I mean, listen, there has been very, very, very significant change, as you pointed out, under this queen. The decolonization probably is one of the most significant uh, parts of it. You know, final word, we got less than 30 seconds. Well, the, yeah, look, the, the thing that we talk about a lot on your show, and I think it's uh, it's kind of a common theme we found, and that is, you know, the only consistent thing in the world is change. And, yeah. you know, we're going through it here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We're going through it on the world stage. And, you know, our success or failure, whether it's whether it's ours or anyone else's, is going to be determined about how we react and respond to the change that's happening. Because, you know, we can't- Well, thanks for joining me today, Ash. It's been a, been an insightful conversation as usual. We'll have you again before you uh, depart to the private sector. Until then, have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, Ricky. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.